0: Welcome to the Codecast Podcast, real world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 237th episode of the Codecast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So, it's good to be back with you today. And my topic is I'm going to talk a little bit about telehealth website manner. So what that means is that is kind of like bedside manner, but for virtual care, because I've noticed that many providers are still not properly trained on what this visit should look like. And the patient satisfaction surveys that a lot of the payers are getting are starting to reflect dissatisfaction with telehealth. And if you want this to be extended permanently, and a lot of things right now kind of are uh, pending what the efficacy is, then this is not a good optic. So Medicare takes this in mind, uh, and really looks at a lot of things, not just the uh, the money part of it, even though that is a big part of it, as far as reimbursement, but they're also looking to see how happy patients are with it. And not just the fact that they don't have to leave their home, they don't have to park and all that. Yes, that has been a, a convenience positive. But do the patients really believe that this is uh, an appropriate visit and how close are you coming to that clinic visit? So I really want to talk to you about that because this has been an issue and it's getting worse. And I just want to make sure that if you are providing telehealth visits, that you understand how to set it up. And how to effectively communicate during the telehealth visit. Because remember, we're getting paid the same rate right now as if it was in person. And so the only thing that really lacks is the ability to do a in-person exam, which to me, that's huge, especially with some of the issues that are coming out that may be missed. But if we're going to bill for it, especially when it is appropriate, then we have to make sure that our visit is set up correctly. So let's start there. So how do you set up your telehealth visit? Well, first of all, make sure that you're in a private space and ensure your lighting is correctly placed. There's nothing worse than getting on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call or a Microsoft Teams call and you can't see the patient or the provider. If possible, conduct the visit with natural light in front of you. That's helpful. So that means if you are, you'd be facing a window instead of behind you because the window in front of you doesn't reflect off the screen you're looking at from behind you. Now eliminate background noise as much as possible. And right now I'm talking to providers and obviously there's going to be coders, billers, collectors, uh, you know, uh, healthcare professionals on the call on this podcast. Just make sure that you're talking to your providers about this. So eliminate background noise as much as possible. Also make sure that you're muted when you aren't speaking. So if you have to clear your throat or you get a tickle or you need to take a a drink of water or whatever, nobody needs to hear that on the microphone. And it drives me crazy. I do a a segment called Talk 10 Tuesday, and you probably heard it through ICD-10 Monitor. I'm on there a couple times a month, and April is on there every single Tuesday. But what drove me crazy with this is... (laughs) <laughs> our producer Chuck Buck, he likes to drink coffee and we are in a private room before we go live because it's, it's live uh, kind of a broadcast and then it goes to, to a podcast later, but we can hear him slurping his coffee. And I'm like, could you mute when you drink your coffee? And then I also podcast with For the Compliance Guy and I'm sure he mutes these out because I haven't actually gone back and listened to them after we um, podcast, but Sean Weiss, love him dearly, but he clears his throat a lot Um, during the podcast and I want to make sure you might hear a click here and there and I know my producer Joe gets mad at me for those clicks but I don't want to be clearing my throat in your ear space and so make sure that you are muted when you aren't speaking check both yours and the patient's internet connection so there was a recent study which I don't even know why this had to be studied to me this was common sense that when the medical assistant sets up the telehealth visit and then the doctor just walks in, they said there was a 70% um, more positive visit for the patient, well of course there was because your telehealth facilitator, which is your medical assistant or your back office staff, you know, you're the ones that are in there basically checking to make sure that everybody's connection is working. And so whether it's the provider that's doing that, it's better if the medical assistant does that, because not everybody has the same broadband. Check your surroundings. Again, now I'm back to talk to the provider. Avoid leaving anything behind you that you wouldn't want your patients to see, especially personal items. So if you had a break, what magazine were you just reading from? Or if you brought something in from home, let's say a bill and it had an envelope, we can see everything on a video call. And so you definitely want that um, out of reach, or if you're, you just saw another patient via telehealth, do you have any kind of white paper items or things that can be seen or even stickers on an X-ray that you can see on that call. So also make sure your space isn't cluttered. That's a bad optic as well. Now, one of the things that not only have we talked to doctors about this and providers, but we're talking to everybody who is now working from home, you need to wear appropriate clothing that you would wear to an in-person visit. If you would normally wear a lab coat, then ensure your name badge is visible if possible. So we're trying to get as close as we can to a clinical visit. So avoid primping, looking at yourself on screen, fixing your hair, etc. that doesn't help anybody. Also ensure your head placement is in the center of the screen. Remember, you're creating, again, a clinical experience, not just a video call. There is a difference. And we're past the first three months of 2020 where everybody thought it was funny that, you know, your spouse or your partner was doing cartwheels behind you. This isn't funny anymore now. And this is very specific. This is a telehealth visit you are being paid for. Maintain proper eye gaze. Look at the area on your computer between the camera and the center of the screen. Also one of the big things let the patient know when you're charting so they know why you're looking down or why you're looking at a screen and not directly at them um, to type in or add any information they may think you may be maybe looking at your cell phone to text somebody and how many how many of you hate that when your partner's doing that I my husband sits on the couch and, and I'm talking to him and he's like yeah 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 and I'm like Tom I'm talking to you and he's like, oh, sorry. He'll put down his phone, turn it over. And I'm like, do I have your attention? Drives me crazy. So we have to make sure that we're the same respectful um, encounter during a telehealth visit. Okay, so now we talk about effectively communicating during this telehealth visit. So you want to maintain maintain a normal pace of speech. Talk slowly enough that the patient can understand you you may have to take longer pauses than you would during an in-person visit, because remember that there is a delay a little bit when you're on an audio call, because it takes a minute for the sound waves to get there. I can't tell you how, much, how many times I've been on um, a call with multiple people and they over-talk each other. Conference calls are terrible. Um, it does are audio only because everybody jumps in at the same time. So you want to... Make sure that you've given enough time for the patient to hear you, think about it, and then respond. Use empathetic word choices, so be mindful and nod your head so the patient knows that they're being heard and understood. Ensure your facial expressions and words are congruent, so you have to have consistency there. Make the patient feel that you're listening. And remember, they may not have, again, the same Internet connection that you do. So try not to over talk the patient. Let them be heard. Let them finish their statement. When you're listening quietly, be aware of your resting face. So make sure that you are interested, that um, you're not picking up your phone to go play a game, (laughs) that you're actually engaged in conversation or engaged in what the patient is saying. Now be aware you may you may have a secure room, but the patient may have family, spouses, kids, friends, etc., in their space or in their background space. Also make sure you inquire about that because let's just say that a patient had a friend over and said, oh, I, I have to get on a telehealth call with my physician and it'll just take a minute. And all they do is step to the dining room table instead of step out of ear space and earshot. You need to ask. Um, can you tell me who's an earshot of the call or who can hear us on the phone because or on this call because I need to make sure that's in the report because you may not be HIPAA protected. It's about privacy as well. And then speaking of that, do not forget your medical assistants, your ancillary staff, they need to get that verbal consent from the patient and make sure it's documented. Make sure you put in there what platform was used. And if you're not using your own EMR or EHR, HIPAA protected platform, so you're using something like FaceTime or Skype, make sure, or Google Hangouts, make sure that you let the patient know, okay, we're using your smartphone application FaceTime, but I'm just giving you a HIPAA warning that this may not be considered private or secure. You need to be aware of that. And again, all people on the call. Lastly, if you if you lose a video, well this isn't last, but if you lose a video connection, do not forget to time your visit. This will change to an audio only phone call from an office visit if more time was spent audio only than what was spent on the the video connection. And that's a really big key. And these are being checked not only by the OIG on their work plan, but also by the commercial plans. And also one of the biggest things, because you're trying to get as close as you can to an in-person encounter, since you're being paid at the same rate during public health emergency, please don't allow, unless there is a physical disability, the patient to lay down, be in inappropriate clothes, to not also come to the visit as they would if they came to the office. They need to be ready to be seen, and I'm air quoting, the physician. You're billing for an office visit and this is not being able to, you know, milk the system for something they're allowing you to do. And sometimes I think everybody forgets the website manner only because we've been doing this for over two years now. But as of today, and I'm quoting what I just saw on um, the, the website for the AMA, Uh, Fauci, who I won't even go into my opinion there. But he basically just said we are not in a pandemic anymore. We're actually closer to an endemic. And it's similar to the flu. And we're just trying to keep down, you know, uh, the death rate. So when you see cases, that's almost a a number to ignore. But if we're not in a pandemic, that means the PHE really technically doesn't exist. And so even though they have extended it, at any time the HHS Secretary can end it, they're going to give a 60 day notice. And I think that's coming. So you'll see that we'll have a certain extension on telehealth, but it's not about the PHE. It's going to be about the Appropriations Act, and that's going to be a little bit different. Only some of the waivers uh, will be extended. So we have to be very mindful of that. But when you look at the website manner, this is just as important as billing out your services correctly, because there's just so much lack of training when it comes to that. Okay, let me talk about my coding question today. And it's interesting because I've had this question come up quite a bit, and then I heard it on an AMA. Um, webcast that they were talking about. And then I also saw it on um, the coding intel with uh, Betsy Nicoletti site. So everybody's getting hit with this question because it's a difference between when you're talking about number and complexity of problems addressed in the 2021 uh, guidelines, uh, e guidelines, it make, could make a difference on being a level three or a level four visit. So the question comes in, what is the difference between an acute uncomplicated illness? So that'd be low medical decision-making to start and an acute illness with systemic symptoms. Okay. And that would be a moderate. So that would move you up possibly to a level four if if you had two out of three components. And this is just one of those components under number and complexity of problems addressed. So page 14 of the 2022 CPT professional edition, here's what it says for acute uncomplicated illness. It's at a recent or new short-term problem with low risk of morbidity, which is treatment considered, or for I should say, which treatment is considered. There is little or no risk of mortality, that'd be death with treatment, and full recovery without functional impairment is expected. A problem that is normally self-limited or minor, but is not resolving consistent with a definite and prescribed course is an acute uncomplicated illness. So it's something basically that is low in complexity, but it's not resolving, so we're continuing to try to get this to resolve. They give examples that include cystitis, allergic rhinitis, or a simple sprain. I would actually also put a simple fracture in here, non-displaced, because you're not dealing with neurological issues. So little or no risk of mortality, full recovery without functional impairment, and they gave other examples that could be um, otitis, mellitus, um, urinary tract infection, upper respiratory infection minor uh, possible functional diarrhea, which it 's interesting because some of those I would have thought would have been in a um, in a moderate level, but here 's where we get into that, and then it also goes into under the acute, uncomplicated. Fever, body aches, fatigue, and the conditions that we just talked about do not constitute an acute illness with systemic symptoms. So that's the opinion of the AMA. Then we go to acute illness with systemic symptoms. So what does that actually mean? Again, from CPT, an illness that causes systemic symptoms and has a high risk of morbidity without treatment. So let's consider that for a second. So first, let's talk about what are systemic symptoms. Okay, this means affecting the entire body rather than a single organ or body part. So for example, systemic disorders, high blood pressure, um, they can affect the entire body. The flu, the flu can affect the entire body as well. Uh, Some people talk about you know COVID being a systemic uh, disease it is largely respiratory, but it, it is now defined as a systemic disease because of the wide range of effects and post-infection uh, sequela that aren't yet fully known. So that could also be part there. But again, it's the current problem the patient's having. You need to know that on the HCCs, otherwise that can be an issue. So when we go back to the actual definition, Then it says for systemic general symptoms, such as a fever, body aches, or fatigue in a minor illness that may be treated to alleviate symptoms, shorten the course of an illness, or to prevent complications, you'd want to go back and see definitions for self-limited or minor or acute uncomplicated. They say systemic symptoms can't be general symptoms but they, they said they may not be, but they may be a single system. So they talk about polynephritis, poly, um, um, uh, colitis. So they're talking about a high risk of morbidity without treatment. So I always like to give definitions as you can tell as I'm talking. So let's talk about morbidity, for example. Morbidity is when you have a specific illness or condition, and that's why you've heard of chronic um, diseases, so common morbidities or common chronic morbidities, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, and there is also a difference between morbidity and mortality, and a lot of people get these confused. Morbidity refers to an illness or disease. Mortality refers to death. Okay, so how is that being... Um, affected based on what the presenting problem is with the patient. So going back to that uh, high risk of morbidity. So those disease diseases without treatment, if treating systemic general systems, such as fever, body aches, or fatigue, they again say you're treating symptoms, you're not treating a disease. So that would be back to self-limited or minor or acute uncomplicated. Then they say that the patient has symptoms in other body areas or organ systems other than the condition. So that's a really big deal. How is it affecting other body parts? It's almost like having a flat tire and you're you're driving on the flat tire and all of a sudden because your car is going up and down and back and forth, now your front end needs aligned. So now you've got a systemic or a problem all throughout that car. And then it talks about shortness of breath, cough, fatigue, loss of appetite, unintended weight loss in a patient with, let's say, um, Um, pneumonitis. There's an example of acute illness with systemic symptoms. So that's a patient that's got something that now affects areas that really have nothing to do or cannot be directly um, linked to that presenting illness. So here's what you want to ask. And actually, this is really good information. and, And thank you, Betsy Nicoletti, for this on your site, because I was thinking about this as well. So is there a high risk of morbidity without treatment? If yes, then look at the acute illness with systemic symptoms. If there's little or or to no risk of mortality, so death, and is full recovery without any impairment or functional impairment, and is the condition being treated of a similar acuity to the, uh, the CPT examples that they gave us, then you may want to look at acute uncomplicated illness. One of the things that popped out at me is the sentence in the acute illness with systemic symptoms, and I'll quote it, it says, for systemic general symptoms such as fever, body aches, or fatigue in a minor illness that may be treated to alleviate symptoms, shorten the course of illness, or to prevent complications, they want you to go back to the uncomplicated, acute, or self-limited, or minor. So that is fever or fatigue with the URI or otitis doesn't necessarily qualify as an acute illness with systemic symptoms. So they're saying it's, it's part of what you would see within that Uh, presenting problem. So that's kind of an interesting take on that. Hopefully that made it a little clearer. I know it's tough sometimes when you have that gray area, but I was trying to at least try to clear up a little bit of those gray areas for you. Our coding question is brought to you today by Burt's Bees Ultra Conditioning Moisturizing Lip Balm, rich in butters and oils that hydrate and condition dry lips. 100% natural origin. Made in the USA. Burt's Bees. Okay. And I'd like to end my personal tidbit this week to say a shout out to my friend, Dina. I love her dearly. My husband and I have brunch with her and her husband about one to two Sundays a month, mostly during football season, but we also go in the off season. And every once in a while, she'll just bring me a little thoughtful trinket or present when she's out and about. And she was at a a craft show or kind of like a, um, you know, kind of like a craft stand or, you know, when you see those, those fruit stands on the weekend. And she brought me back a Lily and Rose pineapple and cilantro travel soy candle. And it smells so good. I actually have it, burning right now on my desk. So if you have a chance to do that for someone just unexpectedly, it really stays with them and goes a long way. And it's so appreciated. So just a shout out to her and and for thinking of me when she was just out and about shopping one day. So that's it for me this week. Make it a great day and a great rest of your week. And I'll talk to you next time on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter, at Terry Coder 1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net podcast producer Joe Kuzma music producer Assassin Music